Uh, really excited to get into this morning's passage. It's one of my favorites. It's where uh, two disciples bring their mom to Jesus to help them get, get you know, a good place in the kingdom. So it's a lot of fun. Before we do that, though, uh, I just wanted to announce a few things, share a few things. Uh, the first one is just want to make sure everyone knows as a body, uh, we have officially brought on Jordan Chong full time. Woo! It's really exciting. So, uh, you know, Jordan has been such an incredible gift to me personally. Uh, he's been here since the launch, since the core group meetings we had when we launched the campus. Uh, there were about two or three times where we almost hired him and, the, and God just had different things in mind, but he has just stayed faithful. He loves this church. He's not going anywhere, and it's just been such a dream of mine to bring him on, and by God's grace, the timing has been perfect, and so as of May 1st, he is uh, officially the Director of Youth and Discipleship, so he's going to be, yeah, that's a great role, so uh, he's going to be doing youth, as he already is, and he's doing such a fantastic job doing that, uh, and then also he'll be doing some of the classes that Josh had done in the past. Uh, you know, like foundations and those kinds of things. Also, outreach ministries for discipleship, uh, like like Harvest Project in in the uh, Christmas time and Alpha in the fall. And so uh, he's just got some dreams, some young adult ideas. So he's just ready to go. He's I'm really excited about him and Elisa. They've been such a great gift to this ministry. So we're just excited to have you, bro. It's great. Yeah. Also, he'll be preaching. He'll be preaching a lot more. Uh, so we'll get to, you know, hear Chong preach. And another few things, just, you know, God is doing some cool stuff with leadership. As you know, uh, it's been a, almost a whole year of us taking Jesse, St. Mars, and Jean Lalonde through pretty intensive uh, training on what it means to be a pastor and elder. I'm going to be calling their bosses this week to do references for them just to see if there's anything going on. But but if, you, if you're missing out, uh, last week they kind of shared their calling to uh, being an elder and their passion to be a pastor here. So next Sunday, we're going to have ballot. Uh, for all of us, and we're going to vote them in as members and just those who attend here uh, and, and affirm them as elders. And then it's going to get really messy on June 2nd. We're going to anoint them with a lot of oil right here. So uh, that's what you do in the Bible. You anoint your pastors with oil. So um, yeah, so really excited about that. If you're like, hey, I kind of want to know more about that and hear more about that, under the Our Team uh button on the website at the bottom. It'll have their pictures. And even we recorded their testimony of what they shared last week. So if you miss it and you want to listen to that, you can go there. Last thing I'll say before we get into the passage, um, next Tuesday night and for three months over the summer, the last Tuesday of every month, so May, June, July, we're going to be having Revive Night. So this will be an evening on Tuesday of, of just seeking God in, in, in worship, in meditation on scripture, in prayer. Uh, and so this will be a time where we're going to ask that if you can fast, but if, even if you can't fast, come that night. And we just want to just have an intensive time of prayer. We're going to have things we're going to be praying for. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to uh, manifest through healing and words and pictures through prayer, because all of these things are going to come through prayer. So if you're in a place in life where you're like, I don't know why I can't get out of this thing, or I just want prayer, like come to that night, come worship. It's going to be a great night. We're going to do three of those over the summer. So that's May 28th. So put that in your calendar. May 28th. Excited about that. Okay. Um, as we always do, I want to pray. So we're talking about pride today. Um, pride and humility, uh, th this idea of selfish ambition, wanting to be great. And uh, one of the things that you'll know is the issue on pride isn't, uh, do you have pride or, or do you struggle with pride? The real issue is where does pride exist in your life right now? Like, where is it manifesting? Because pride is um, one of the worst sins. I'll give you a quote, Jonathan Edwards. I'm studying him a little bit here. Uh, he called pride, quote, the worst viper that is in the heart and the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. Like, that's what we want most, right? We, we want communion with Christ. And so he ranked pride as the most difficult sins to root out and, quote, the most hidden secret and deceitful of all lusts. So I, I begin that way is because, as we always do, we need prayer. Like, I, you know, so you're going to pray. 
uh, this is gonna be a new thing. You're praying and, and then I'll pray for you, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal during this message where pride exists in your heart. Like where are you about your own significance more than his glory? Where, where, because we can't see that. He actually has to come in, in this blind spot and go, it's right here. And so if, if and when he does that, we know what to bring to Jesus. We know what to repent of. And this is gonna be so important because again, we're not wasting you know, a Sunday just to hear information. We want Christ to, we wanna become more like Jesus. So, so you pray for that, that's a miracle. Like he needs to, he needs to like hammer that into our souls. And then I'll pray, <clears throat> then we'll get into it. Okay, now just to warn you, while you're praying, I'm gonna eat some honey. I know it sounds weird, I'm not like John the Baptist. Okay, but I have, I, have, I have a cold and I brought honey. So if you're like, what's he just eating honey? It's like Winnie the Pooh up here, okay? So don't, now you don't even think about what I'm doing because you're praying and then I'll pray. Okay, you pray. Father, we, <clears throat> we really do know that you haven't taken a minute off of, of continuing the good work that you began in us. I just am so thankful for that. So thankful that you loved to show us what keeps us from great communion because that's the greatest thing for our souls. And, and we see ourselves in this passage a lot. And I pray for us, I pray that when you reveal, you would also show us that you understand, like the verses we read, that you are, you are able to sympathize with our weakness and we can come to you boldly. So help us not to be afraid of what you show us, but, but see repentance as something so great. And that's a miracle. And so I pray for those who pride has really made them hard, that some of these words would crush them. And uh, Father, I, I just, I pray for some of the marriages in this room who are not seeing where pride is killing intimacy or communion with each other, show them like so clearly today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you've, who've given me spiritual gifts would manifest these gifts that I would be able to just exercise now in the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, uh, let's read our passage and we'll, See where we're going. So we're in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 20, let me read it. It'll be on the screen. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him <clears throat> with their sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom has been prepared by my father. 
And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, Look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, so sweet. Such a juicy passage. Okay, we're gonna, just to help us follow along uh, in how we're gonna unpack it, we're gonna look at just three parts. First, their, their request and, and their quest for greatness. We're gonna try to tease that out and look at what it really is and then how Jesus redefines what true greatness in the kingdom is and then how Jesus being our ransom, our ransom just reorients everything. He just changes everything being our ransom. So first, the, the request in quest, we'll come back to the beginning where Jesus goes and says, this is what's gonna happen to me in Jerusalem. We'll hit that in, in point two. So begin with me uh, in verse 20 at the request, okay? So then the mother, the sons of Zebedee. Now, how many of you, you know, we don't always read the, the gospels in our Bible reading plans and stuff, but do you remember the sons of Zebedee? This is James and John. So these guys, just to remind you, they love the power. Like they're all about power. You know, there was a time where like the Samaria, there was a town in Samaria that rejected Jesus and they were, they were so like, you can't do that. And they go to Jesus and they're like, should we call fire down from heaven and burn them up? And Jesus is like, what? Relax. You guys are, no, no. So that's these guys. So uh, then the mother, the sons of Zebedee came up to him with their sons and kneeling before him. She's humble. She's kneeling. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit at your right hand, one at your left in your kingdom. Okay. I don't know about you, but I love this. Okay. Do you love this? I just love, it. it's like, oh, you brought your mom. Oh, cool. <laughs> your mom's here. Yes. Um, and those of you who, you know, your parents, you know this principle, okay? If mom, you know, if mom says it's okay, it's okay, right? If mom gets involved, something's gonna happen, right? We know this. Moms are amazing. My kids, they know this. My wife's incredible. Uh, if they want something though, they want like a sleepover or they want, you know, justice from their sister, they know dad will be like, oh, you know, I don't maybe ask your mom or like, stop. Mom gets involved. Mom has an answer. Mom has final say, Right? Mom has just this, this beautiful authority and compassion and care. And, and so mom's gonna be an advocate. So she comes being a good mom, wanting what's best for her sons, humbly you know, kneeling before him. And here's what we don't know. We don't know if the idea originated from uh, you know, their mom. More than likely it's not because the other gospel account doesn't have the mom in this. Uh, also, this is not the first time they've been arguing, hey, who's better, who's more awesome. Uh, so more than likely... James and John are like, who can say no to our mom? You know, mom, like, here, you should meet Jesus. And by the way, ask him this. So um, she makes a request. So here's the question. What is the request? What is the uh, priority of James and John's attitude? What do the sons of thunder want to say so they get their mom to ask? It's simple. They want greatness. They want prestige. They want a name. Right? They, want, they want a sense of power. They want a prominent place of honor with Jesus. They, they desire to be seen. They want to be noticed as better than, than those around them. They want to have you know, like that, just that place of service where others serve them. They've seen kings before. They've seen kingdoms. And they're like, there's no one like Jesus. Like the, the, the Pharisees can't stop this guy. All the Gentiles are loving him. He's heading to Jerusalem. Um, like no one was doing miracles like this man. And so they could see his power and they loved power and they wanted it. They wanted to get ahead. Yes, they wanted Jesus, but they, they wanted the life and the acclaims and the power and the fame that came with how, how, where, where they thought his popularity was going. Okay, let me ask you this. Have you ever uh, like maybe became friends with or have a family member who's kind of like super wealthy and really famous in their sphere? Um, and you just, you kind of just loved what you got being around them. Like maybe, you know, like you, you could like boost your social media, be like, guess who I'm with, <laughs> right? You just, you just kind of, we love power. We love that kind of feeling. Uh, I remember in Bible college, there was a uh, really famous pastor 
in Chicago. His son uh, came, was, you know, in my grade and he came to the Bible college. And there was, I just, you know, I felt like I was kind of cool around him. Like we would walk into his church and I'd be like, I'm with this guy. Like it was, you know, it's in us. It's in us. How many of you though, you can spiritually relate where like a part of your motive and all you do is recognition. Where, you know, you're just, if I can attain to this certain level of importance in my peer group, you know, in, in, my, in my business, they just, they have to know that I have a little bit of power. And, and if I, maybe if I just use my spiritual gifts, then I'll feel like I matter. I won't be insecure and significant. Uh, you know, people will see me. Let me, let me ask us, just, just think about this with me. Who is that most about? Us. I mean, who are the disciples really living for? Right, themselves. And the other 10, they're no different. Right, in verse 24, we find out they're, they're indignant. But they're mad because the Zebedee bros got there first. Right? I love William Hendrickson writes this, how easy it is to condemn in others what we excuse in ourselves. Right? They're upset with them for doing the very thing they want to do. Right? How many of you, you see this in your heart? You see this in your heart? The Holy Spirit's already going, yeah, it's here, here, and here. Let me ask you this question. Who do you compare yourself most to? Who do you most compare yourself to? It could just be a future version of you. That's like, that's where I'm going to be. Where, where are you looking for opportunities to feel good about your own significance? Okay, now before we go uh, down too far that path, that Jesus doesn't take us quite that far, I want to say something that I think might be a little shocking to you, and, and namely what that is, is Jesus isn't against greatness. It's really interesting. In this passage, he doesn't come down on being great. What he does is he redefines it. He redefines greatness for them. He didn't say it's wrong. It's, I mean, he literally says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And I, I point this out because God's gaze moves towards those who want him. He, he's really coming in and going, Greatness is, it really is about whose glory you're after, whose glory matters most. We, we know like being a gospel-centered, spirit-oozing, humble servant isn't bad. Being great, as God defines it, is good. We should want, let me say it this way, we should want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Being great isn't the issue. It's how you define it. So let, let, me, let me just kind of make my point a little better because everyone's like, well, I don't know what you're saying. Okay, um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, like two weeks ago, I, I was just hit by a biography by him. And let, let me just share a few things about his life that really just hit me. He, he was the one who started the greatest awakening, uh, the great awakening, uh, literally changed, literally changed uh, Christianity in his day in the early to mid 1700s. Just to give you a scope, God used this man with such power that it's reported, conservatively reported, that one out of 10 people in America were converted to Christ in that great awakening. One out of 10, 200 churches in his time were planted virtually spontaneously with no church planting you know, method or strategy. There were so many Christians coming in. I mean, he struck the match. George Whitfield blew it up. Um, I mean, it was amazing. There, there was no one like him. And now what really struck me about learning about his life was how he began his ministry, okay? So at age 17, he became a Christian. He grew up, uh, his dad was one of those Puritan pastors. So he had great Bible teaching his whole life. Um, but he became a Christian and his first pastor was at 18. And he, uh, he took over Presbyterian church that just split and during that year, he felt the weight of, response, of responsibility of pastoral ministry that he said, I can't do this. So what he decided, I'm going to write down resolves, ways I need to live my life for the glory of God so that I ensure most of my life is done for all of God. And so he, during that year, wrote down resolves from like time management to character to relationship. He wrote down 70, okay? 
I want to read one of them under this whole point I'm trying to make about being great in the kingdom. So here's what, this is Resolve 63, okay? Here's what he writes. On the supposition that there never was to be but one individual in the world at any one time who was properly a complete Christian in all respects of a right stamp, having Christianity always shining in its true luster and appearing excellent and lovely from whatever part and under whatever character viewed, here it is, resolved to act just as I would do if I strove with all my might to be that one who should live in my time. That's unbelievable. Do you know what his resolution was? He purposed to be the most Christ-like Christian on planet earth in his time. As a teenager, he, he resolved before God that he would be the most complete, spirit-filled Christian alive on the universe. That's amazing. Now, some would say, well, pfft, that's kind of proudful. Well, you don't want to be the worst Christian on planet earth, right? No, I'm going to be the most mediocre believer in my generation. Oh, that's, I, I want to become a Christian too. No, the point is we should all want to be the most godly, the most Christ-like, the greatest, not to measure up or measure up ourselves to him, but to work out the reality of Christ who lives in us. And I, I think we've lost some of this. You know, I think we've lost some of this. I don't know if that's a resolve for you. But this is, if you remember in our spiritual gift series, one of the goals of spiritual gifts is to strengthen others. But, but why? Well, in the context of Ephesians 4, it was this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like our ultimate goal and hope, if you're a Christian in the room, needs to be resolved one day, I want to be fully mature like Christ. And one day you will be when he comes. But, but this is, this is, all right, let's keep going. But this was Edward's resolve. So Jesus says, it's not, he's not against being great. It's whose glory and whose life and what is greatness. So let's ask Jesus more. What is true greatness? Okay. That's what we're gonna do. So that's second. Now that was first, their request. Jesus' redefinition of greatness. Look at his response, verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand, at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those whom it's been prepared by my father. Now this is an incredible response. Notice he doesn't, get into the redefinition of greatness yet. Instead, he, he reorients them to realize the gravity of the path their king is on. The path that they want honor in, they're not seeing where their king's going. They're not, they're not listening to what it's gonna cost them. And this is so many Christians. This is, I bet, a few of you today. Jesus, moments ago, in the verses we just read, said he's heading to Jerusalem where he will be belittled, where he will suffer greatly, where he will be slaughtered for the world. He's like, you don't realize that in this life, those who follow me wholeheartedly with whole completeness, they're going to follow that same path. Which is why he says what he says next, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? The cup, if you know, uh, if, if you read the Bible, always represents suffering as a result of God's wrath. So uh, let me give you, I mean, it's all over the Bible. Isaiah 51, Psalm 75, I'll read that one for you. In the hand of the Lord, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dredges. The most 
vivid, the most powerful, the most personal place we see this imagery is in the life of Jesus when moments before the cross, we read about him going to the garden where the Bible says he's sweating blood. Okay, doctors tell us that's a condition so severe under extreme stress, it's very rare. <coughs> and here's what we read there. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this, what's our word? Cup. Pass from me. This speaks of the judgment of God, the holy, righteous, good wrath of God. He asked him, are you able to drink, suffer for my namesake? Are you able to drink what I'm to drink? Their response is we are. Now what's fascinating is Jesus doesn't correct them and say, well, you don't really understand the kind of suffering I'm going under compared to you. He actually says you will. And they do. Do you remember what happens to James? He's beheaded in Acts 12 by Herod. John, they try to boil him alive in oil and he doesn't die. So they, they, even worse, they put him on an island with no one there, exclusion, nothing. The island of Patmos where Jesus comes to him before he dies and says, this is my letters to the churches. This is what, what's going to happen. This is behind the veil. That's where we get the apocalyptic literature of Revelation. But they do. And, and sure, I, just, I think we need to be reminded as believers all the time, if we're going to spend our days pursuing Christ, which by the way, Jesus says, if you wanna be my disciple, so he doesn't say, I'm gonna go make you my disciple, which is, he does in the gospel, but this is what he tells those who are following him, those who think they're following him. If you wanna be my disciple, count the cost. He's not looking for attenders, but disciples, those who follow him. And so if, we, if we're going to spend our days really pursuing Christ, wanting Christ's likeness in all the things he's given us, then we're going down this path. Putting, you know this, putting sin to death, it hurts. Opposition for your faith, where you land at work, in your life, in your, in your mom groups, that, that can bring intense rejection. Living for his priorities means we say no to other priorities. That cuts, that's sacrificial. That's, I'm not gonna go there because this is what I'm gonna do. And that, that's what it'll be for his followers. And I, I just don't think we hear these verses enough. I don't think we memorize these ones. I don't think, you know, uh, they're not on our Instagram encouragement posts. Namely, the Bible's clear in Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. This is so exciting when that happens. You're like, I'm really saved because of his grace, his love, his performance, what he's done. And if children, then heirs. I'm already with the right hand of the father. This is incredible. I'm heirs with Christ provided we, what's our word? Suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. And Philippians 1.29 says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, what's our word? Suffer for his sake. Hebrews 12, three to four, really spoke to me this week. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation. Acts 14, 22, through 
What's our word? Many tribulations. We must enter the kingdom. Short church, I have a challenge for you. I challenge you. Maybe do this in your community group. I'll do it with you. Memorize these verses. Go back. Memorize these ones. I'll put them on the the, the CG page or the sermon page because here's what you're going to need when you're counseling and encouraging with other great scriptures, this reality undergirding it. It's, it's, It's quick it's quick for us and it's right for us to say, Christ has forgiven you for this sin you're wrestling with. But also, let me tell you something. You haven't resisted this thing to the point of shedding your blood with him. Like, where's that fight? Where's that, I'm gonna suffer for this. You will drink my cup. You will drink my cup. So Jesus called them to him to tell them the measure of sacrifice, to tell them their life's not going to be like the rulers who, you know, get to lord it over everyone. And the miracle has to be how Jesus switches that desire, how he, how he has to make that old thing that they would love, that they're going to die to. And now it's this thing. And this thing's actually greater. This thing will bring you more life, happiness, joy, energy. What is that? Well, he says to them, verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. So just, you know, in their time, like in our time, we might see a rich person and think they're great by like, you know, what kind of car they drive or like where they get to go. In those days, in the first century, you could tell how great someone was by how many servants they had and how many slaves they had. So you'd come home and be like, you got 17 servants? Bro, it'd be like that. I only got 15. How do I get to, you know, that would be what they were doing because they were, you know, the more people who came in, they just praise you. They wash your feet. They, How are you doing today, sir? Do you want another drink? And they probably didn't have British accents because they were in the first century. And sorry if that was like, you know, Nikki always like, you're racist with your jokes, but I don't mean to be. Um, I don't even know where I'm going. Oh yeah, the greatest thing. Okay, so uh, that's what they're thinking the kingdom will be like. Let me ask you this. Do you know anyone like this? I mean, seriously, do you know someone who just, they just make you feel compared to them so unimportant? Like maybe you have a parent or like a, you know, parent-in-law, you know, or even like a boss where you're just not quite where they are. You're not, you're not, you're, you, you should serve her. Like they, the vibe in the room is like, give them glory and you'll get ahead. You, 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 need, you need to be what he has. You need to make yourself up to their standard. Jesus says very clearly, intensely, directly, just this like, it shall not be so among you. Just says it. No, it's not how we breathe. It shall not be so among you. That's not great to God. That's not impressive to God. It's the opposite. It doesn't glorify God because it's not what God has came to do. It, not, it doesn't display what they need the most. So what is true greatest? What, are the, what kind of discipleship should they expect or there to be, he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Simply put, greatness is measured by service. Service that points to the greatest service. He says, a heart attitude that doesn't see yourself as any more important, but is there to give your life for others so that they would, you would be a pointer to one who gave his life for them. In other words, God's looking not for superstars, but servants. Serving others is greatness to God. Serving others for the glory of God, not just white knuckle, okay, now I'll start serving people. It comes from this ransom love that how he has served you because this is what Jesus says next. How will we even do this? He says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Basically your master is how you will do this. 
So let's ask the third point, how Jesus, our ransom, reorients our serving. How does his ransom do that? Let me ask you this. What do you think of when you think of the word ransom? Most of us, we probably think, you know, like uh, kidnapping, uh, you know, ransom price. In Jesus' day, ransom was close to that, but it was a little different. In his day, it was the price you would pay to bring a prisoner of war out of his captivity and slavery. And so when you were attacked, you know, by another country and you were a soldier and you lost, the consequences of that loss was what? Well, you either punished, killed, either or you died in battle or you were put in slavery. And so the way you would escape or the way you would ever escape that captivity was if someone from your other country or someone else came and paid usually an enormous ransom price to the captors. And this is the imagery Jesus wants them to have. So why did Jesus die? There's many reasons the Bible gives, but right here, he died. He came to pay a debt. He came to get us out. He came to drink the cup that was meant for us, that will go on us if he doesn't drink it. For all the times we've ignored him, for all the times that he's tried to change our lives in an area and we said no, all the times we said, you're not as important as my other stuff. For all of our sin, the Bible says you need a ransom that has put you in captivity. The message he's impressing on them is your loss. Your situation is so hopeless on your own and you're incapable of altering or escaping until there's an exchange, a payment for this. That's the greatest way to serve someone. That's what, that's what John says in his letter. There's no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for one another. In 1 Corinthians 5, 21, this is exactly what Paul says Jesus did and what we often quote as his first, the great exchange where God, for our sake, for our sake, for our sake, he made him, he is God the Father. He made him to be sin. Who's him? He, God the Father, made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in that exchange on the cross where God pays the penalty in full, we not only get a debt paid, but we get ransomed out. We get a righteousness that brings us into a whole new kingdom that will last for eternity. And this is the greatest news, right? But what we need to be clear on is that this payment is to the Father for us. Like the key to our reality in this room, and I mean reality, is that we understand that we're enslaved to the sin, the misery, the addiction, and the judgment for that sin incurred to God. To put it another way, some theologians over the years, and you've maybe read some of their books, have said this ransom, Jesus needing to you know, die to be a payment is like child, it's like divine child abuse. God wouldn't do that. And so what they do, and it's really old because it's been around since origin of the third century, is they say, this is a ransom paid to Satan. And, and that couldn't be farther than the Bible. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible you can't find a verse where it says Satan has any rights over us. He's called the God of this world, but he doesn't have rights over us. He doesn't have the kind of authority that a created being would have over God. He has to approach God like he does in Job and with Jesus and Peter. He, has, he does not, he, he can blind you to the gospel. He can make you love your stuff more than Christ. He can aggravate sin. He can try to hold you in captivity but here's the key, our sin is not against Satan. Your sin is not against him. D.A. Carson puts it this way, in all our sinning, God is invariably the most offended party. That is why we must have his forgiveness or we have nothing. 
the God the Bible portrays as resolved to intervene and save is also the God portrayed as full of wrath because of our sustained idolatry. As much as he intervenes to save us, he stands over against us as a judge, an offended judge with fearsome jealousy. This is, listen, this is, this is. No other religion can come close to this. This is the wonder of the glory of the gospel. I mean, think about this with me. Why would you pay a ransom for someone? Because you want them back. Do you see how amazing this imagery is? The metaphor is saying you and I are not just condemned in some general way. We're not just guilty in some general way. We're enslaved. He's not just coming to pay a debt. He's coming to bring us life. He's coming to bring you home. He, you were made for him. He's coming to free your heart. This is a ransom. Like you're coming back out. This is why we, you know, Romans 5, we read this earlier, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by blood, much more shall we be saved from, saved by him. So we're saved by him from what? What's our word? Should be on the screen. Maybe it's not. We'll get there. Do we have it, Romans? No. I'll tell you, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Let me ask you this. In a ransom payment, who initiates? We know this. Who who? Who acts first? Okay, you know that old song, like, I found Jesus? It's kind of nice and has a nice, you know, Delirious redid it too, and so it's, it's wrong, okay? Jesus was never lost. You didn't save you. You were in captivity, fetal position, not seeing it maybe, thinking you're gonna be okay, you didn't save you. God saved you. Like you weren't looking for Jesus. This is what ransom means. Ransom means he came and he found you. And if ransom has been paid, the quarrel is over. Okay, there, like as one put it, there's no more fight between us and God. If the cross of Christ is the ransom for sin, there's no more wrath. Like there's no more wrath of God towards those of us who are under him, are in him, are hidden in him. This is the essence of the gospel. There's no more. You've been ransomed out. You can't go back into captivity. You've been poorly, fully bought. That's why, that's why Paul says you've been bought with a price. It's, it's done. We just sang, it is finished. Woo, we should stand up. Let's stand up right now. We're gonna clap. Woo, let's everyone clap. This is so good. Woo! Yeah, it's over. It's over. That's awesome. You have a new position. You have a new status. Ransom, you may be seated, is bringing you fully out of guilt. There's nothing to keep you there. You don't need to build your own greatness anymore because here's what Ransom says. Ransom says you already have greatness. You already have the place of honor in Christ. You don't need to try to do it. Ransom says he loves you and accepts you. You don't have to do things to build your resume. You already have a resume. You don't have to do things to make yourself look good. You can actually serve. You can actually die. You can actually give away your stuff for the joy of doing it because you have everything already been ransomed. You're already coming into a new country. It's very exciting. This is the gospel. Ransom says you can serve because you've, you've been fully served by God. You're showing his service. You can have humility. Why? Because you were saved by grace, by ransom, not because of your superior insight or character or, or place of position. That's the gospel. Let me ask you this. Do you have his ransom? Are you... Are you trusting his ransom? Are you living in ransom? That's why Paul says all the time, you've been out of slavery. Why are you gonna submit again to a yoke of slavery? You're out, you're out, you'll always be out. And Christ Jesus will come one day and, and just cut that, that old flesh and, 
and war, and, and, but he's cutting it now. So I wanna plead with you, if you're not a Christian and you don't wanna receive this today, you're, you're there and you, you, you go, I, I won't accept his death for me. I won't accept him clothing me with grace. I want you to know you will spend eternity, which is a very long time, in hell under the wrath of God. You are as close to hell right now as I am to this pulpit. You are one heartbeat away from spending eternity in a horrific forever place. And you need ransom. You need to repent. You need to trust Jesus. In God's eyes, our sin, short church, is so serious that God came. That needs to sink. That needs to sit. And without Jesus being the price, we would go to hell. So this is the joy. This is the greatness of the ransom. The ransom will go into eternity. You must hate your sin because it's killing you and keeping you from seeing the ransom. And you get to come to a friend who has saved you. And it's gonna be so great. Like Christianity is so different than any religion. No other religion, Eastern religions, they're all against pride. Everyone's against pride. We should be against pride. Even the world knows it's not great. I mean, the world has its own version of pride. But even, even like the Buddhists would say, don't live for yourself. Christian, and Christianity is so magnificently different in that in all those religions, they would say, get rid of the material, get rid of the physical, get rid of it. Let's escape this world, not ransom. Ransom is like... This world is awesome. It's material. And guess what? It's gonna be renewed. Like, res like resurrection says you're gonna have physical bod body, eyes, senses. You're gonna jump in oceans. You're gonna have life. You're gonna eat fruit. You're gonna worship truly. We're gonna rebuild a city all over the world. Like resurrection is life after life after death. You die and go to heaven, but when Christ comes again, resurrection. So on this small, tiny spot of our life, let's just lose it all. Who cares? Like, who cares? May we fight to not care about the speck because eternity is a long time. That's the mindset, just so you know, the next few sermons are going into because this is where Jesus goes all the way to the cross. It's parable after parable. So let me, let me close with this. Let me ask you, is your serving, is your life pointing to him in a way that people would go, how you're doing that, the way you're ransoming yourself, tell me why. Because I have someone who gave me his literally left everything and gave me his whole life and his name is Jesus. I, and I don't, I don't need anything because I actually have everything and it's coming one day. That has to move. Is that moving? If not, you got to ask him for that. So when we pray and we sing, go, go like, will you do that one in me? Second, let me ask you, where would you be today if he hadn't ransomed you? Where would you be today if he hadn't liberated you? And are you living in the truth of your liberation? Or are you, is it still self-sufficiency, self-confidence, self-greatness? Like, do you rejoice in the love of God? What we did standing, by the way, do you do that all the time? In his book on spiritual depression, the great Dr. Lloyd-Jones 
asks, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Just examine for a moment the pattern of your thinking this week. Did you spend more time speaking the truth to yourself or was most of your time spent listening to yourself? Bring ransom into your everyday. Preach the truth of the ransom of God for you every day. Because the other voices and the other radios will be loud and they're lies. You're liberated, okay? You're ransomed. Begin your day in that truth and on God and say to him, whatever it costs, you have everything. You can have it all. It's all yours. Oh, I could just keep preaching, but we shouldn't. So we'll save it for next week. Will you stand as we respond? Paul, or no, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. This is what he's telling his disciples, even as the son of man came. So you're gonna serve and run. We're not gonna be like the ones who lord it over. So you lay aside everything. You lay aside wanting to be great. You lay aside wanting, you know, to have this in your life. And husbands, that's a really important point. When you think about your spouse and where and how you spend your money around, your life, what she wants to do, what God wants you to do. Think about that. And then you run a race. So here's the question you need to ask Jesus. Show me the race that you have set before me. And it's a race the Bible makes clear. It's to make disciples. But your life's gonna look very different than ours, than everyone in this room. But is your priority this week your race, not mine? If not, repent, because that sucks. Let me pray. Oh, Jesus, we want this. We want to be confronted like this because this is how you love us so intimately. No one loves us like a friend like this. You're such a good friend. You care about our forever. You've paid our ransom. I pray as we take communion, we'd be so excited. We'd be so freaked out that it actually happened, that all my judgment is gone. Some of us still think you're gonna judge us, but we don't believe the gospel. So help us believe the gospel. You've already judged Christ and he's our ransom. So we stand in the ransom of Christ. So help us run the race. Help us be like, what? I don't, I don't wanna love this thing too much. So, and Holy Spirit, you gotta lead our race. So I pray you'd lead our race. I just pray as we respond now, you would answer the prayers that we're praying. And I just pray for healing and help. In Jesus' name, amen.